Hey friend, welcome to She Said, She Said. Here on this podcast, I'm joining forces with top-notch guests to share life and career lessons, always with an eye toward insight, inspiration, and the drivers that help us build influence. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've spent three decades mastering the art of influence. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, advocating for a promotion, or running your own household, understanding the different levers of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast may just be the smartest, most efficient investment you can make in you. Hey friend, welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking to the woman behind the social media campaign, hashtag this little girl is me. She's my friend, Miriam Gonzalez Durantes. Miriam is working to inspire young girls and women around the world while simultaneously flooding social media platforms with positive, uplifting messages, advice, and perspective. Miriam is hoping to encourage all of you to embrace the role of role model by sharing your own unique journey, advice, and perspective. We're going to talk about why that matters, and why it's such an important part of building influence. And of course, influence is our theme for this season of She Said, She Said podcast. The campaign, hashtag this little girl is me, is part of an organization that Miriam founded called Inspiring Girls International. It operates in almost 30 countries. But that is only one part of Miriam's story. She has had an amazing journey from growing up in a small town in Spain to bucking conventional wisdom and expectations by pursuing a career in international trade law and negotiation, something that she had not seen other women from her community do. She has held senior positions in the EU government And when her husband was elected UK's deputy prime minister, she faced down the British tabloids, maintained her own professional pursuits, and continued running her family. But she also realized that the increased visibility enabled her to create a platform, and from that platform, the Inspiring Girls International Organization was born. Miriam and her husband, Nick Clegg, have three sons, and the duo has just celebrated their 21st wedding anniversary. In our conversation today, Miriam shares her journey, her perspective on the campaign, and why she wants you to be a part of it. And she shares incredibly candid perspective about her own, not only her own journey, but also her own self-doubt and how she's learned to manage it. We also tap into her expertise as an international trade lawyer and negotiator, and we get her perspective on having those all-too-common difficult conversations with family, friends, and neighbors. I think you're going to love this conversation. So stay with me. It's coming up right now. Miriam, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being with you. Well, I'm so happy to see you. It's been a long time with all all this COVID business, so we've not seen each other in person in quite some time. So it's really, really nice to have a chance to visit with you. Oh, it's amazing. It has really made us think what really is important in life and what is important is the people we like and we love. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. No question. You have had this amazing, amazing career. But before we get into that, I would love for you to talk about the project that you're investing a lot of time and energy into, which is Inspiring Girls International. Tell us about what that is and what you're trying to accomplish. Well, Inspiring Girls International is an international organization that is present right now in 27 countries. And what it does is something really simple, is to connect female role models and girls, to inspire them and to show them all the enormous amount of things that they can become. And and also to, to 
push them a bit to make an effort and to to aim high no because it's only with effort that you know in life there is like lack an effort but without effort <laughs> nothing happens and it's it has been one of the most rewarding things that i have done in my life really being able to work with the next generation i really really recommend this to to every woman yeah you started this organization back in 2016 talk about what the original inspiration was well, I had actually done um, another kind of um, um, uh, part of the organization, just focus on the on the UK in 2013. And there in two years and a half, we got 25,000 women going back to schools all throughout the UK, inspiring, inspiring girls. And the reason I started doing that was twofold. First, that that I kept being asked constantly at interviews and at events, don't you think that there are not enough female role models? And that really is something that has always, um, it, it has always made me uncomfortable to be asked that question because my answer always is, but there are so many. Right. There are thousands, millions of female role models. The issue is that you don't see them because they are not in the magazines and, and in the, on the television. So the issue is how do we put the spotlight on those women? And, and then in parallel, I was seeing some really good research about how girls themselves feel that they do not have access to female role models. More than 55% of girls between 11 and 18 feel that they do not have that access. I found myself at the time, my husband was in government in the UK with some public attention, some media attention, which was unwanted. And for a while, I tried to, to kind of internally fight <laughs> against it. Right. And then at one point, I thought, why don't we use it for something positive? And why don't we use it for this? And that was the beginning of inspiring women at the time. Lots of countries started, women from different countries started getting in touch. And that is why in 2016, I decided to make it international, but I should stress that I'm only the beginning of this organization. I just had the, the idea and, and I keep putting as much energy as I can into it. But the ones who really, really run it <laughs> is the thousands of women who in every country, you know, go back to the schools, talk to the girls, do it remotely. And it's just a big network now who do the day-to-day -day job, which is the really important job in that organization. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'd love it, Miriam, if you would dig in a little bit deeper. You referenced your husband's role in government. He was the deputy prime minister at one point. You did not quit your job and your career when he took on this role in government, which I think starting Inspiring Women really reinforces your desire to maintain your own role and profile, but also recognizing that you all of a sudden had this additional platform potentially that you might not have had otherwise. Maybe talk a little bit about that experience that you had and and, and balancing that and, and the trade-offs. I mean, it's like having two full-time, three actually, because you're a mom of three, so you had three full-time jobs. <laughs> Don't we all have lots of different jobs <laughs> and we handle them right. uh, together? But but for me at the time, and I'm Spanish, and 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 I found a cultural issue there in the UK, probably very similarly to to the US, the the families of the politicians, and in, in particular the wives of the politician, tend to play a role in the political careers and they are very exposed. That doesn't really happen in my country or indeed in a lot of continental Europe. So for me, when I suddenly found the paparazzis at the door of my house, just taking pictures of what I was wearing that particular day and so on, I struggle a little bit with that at the beginning. And certainly when I saw that public expectation that I was meant to be the accessory of my husband for the pictures, the sort right. of flower pots. And, and, you know, I, I come uh, from an environment very close to politics. My father had been a, a politician in, in Spain, and I am of the view that those are, you know, those are the kind of jobs that people around them 
need to help and also the public has the right to see <laughs> how they are in the in the more personal environment because they are trusting those people with taking the decisions of the country but but this really was at such a level and it was all kind of superficial and and I found it very difficult at the beginning to accept that many people thought that I really should not work at all and I should just be there like the prop for uh, for politics and uh, when I said that I wasn't going to do that I wasn't going to give up my job and just follow him around and do press releases like some of the other wives of the other leaders did at the time saying you know in the morning I'm wearing uh, Sarah top and a whatever <laughs> a skirt and I'm going here and there and you know my press releases was like Miriam is wearing her clothes and going to the office and that was a bit of a shock at the beginning <laughs> but you know we found a really good middle point which which was when I realized why am I fighting this I should be using this for something positive and if they want to talk about my shoes being orange you welcome if in addition to that you talk about inspiring girls and we use this to inspire the next generation and i think that that is how how i managed to to navigate to navigate that period i have to say that certainly in the uk it has gone now in the right direction i think that uh, the, the wives in particular of the leaders, because many of them are still men, are not playing uh, so much of that role anymore. And I think it's a much more natural space. There is a different standard, I think any woman in politics would say. Um, but, you know, hopefully that is changing as we're seeing more and more women rise to those higher and higher positions. Um, I'd love it, Miriam, if you'd talk a little bit about your origin story. You mentioned that you grew up in Spain. I know your father was also in politics, but maybe talk about what young Miriam was like and what some of your early aspirations were. Well, young Miriam was um, born in Franco's Spain, so there was still a dictatorship in wow. Spain, and it was a dictatorship there until I was eight. And I was born in uh, in a small village, a small town in the middle of. It's called Castilla and León, so it's it's almost the middle of nowhere <laughs> in Spain. And um, the British media used to call it the dusty village. So you you get an idea <laughs> of how they look how they look at it. Uh, but it was it was a period. On the one hand, it wasn't a good period for women. So until I was eight women in my country could not have their own current account and um, they had to have like a sort of permission from a man associated to them to be able to travel and so on but but when i started realizing that you know i was a human being when i was eight nine i had the lack of living one of the most wonderful periods of the history of my country, which was the transition to democracy, which has been one of the most successful transitions to democracy in the world. And it was it was like seeing the energy of the whole country just going in the right direction and everybody believing that we could we could really be part of the democratic world and, and at a more personal level we were being told all the time you can be whatever you want, you know, if if you invest in education and you really make an effort well, you know, the world is your oyster. And, and that, to me, coming from that small place where I was being in the state school um, all my life, up to the, the end of the secondary school and then the closest university, because that is what you did. You know, the girls didn't go <laughs> very far away. That, that really changed not only my life in terms of the opportunities that I have had, but also my outlook of of the world and of politics. I have always retained a big interest in in politics and I still believe, you know, no matter how many terrible things have happened in the world, I still believe that if a country invests <laughs> in in going in the right direction and having the right energy, if we can really put together the people, we can all do amazing things and I have seen that myself in my country. Did you have role models when you were growing up? Well, not so many because not very many women worked at mm -hmm. the time. And I, I vividly remember my mother who 
was a, a very vocational uh, physics and chemistry teacher, being one of the few women in the village who worked. And, and I remember her having sort of to defend her right to work and that she wasn't diminishing my father by doing that. And, and then I thought that it was just really actually funny if you think about it that many many years later not in Spain but in London I had to do the same to defend my right to work <laughs> and that I wasn't diminishing my husband uh, by doing that but I definitely um, had role models later on so when I started later on working in the European Union and I worked in in foreign affairs and international relations and and it was the beginning of some of the the female foreign ministers and some of them very young, like, for example, Anna Lind, who was the foreign affairs minister of Sweden, sadly assassinated by a Eurosceptic. And, and to me, seeing somebody like her was a, was a revolution. You know, every woman who was in that space beforehand was power dressing and, and uh, behaving in a really tough manner. You know? And there came this woman with t-shirts and a backpack and and she spoke normally and and it was so fresh and and it made me think wow if she can do it perhaps we all have hope yeah that's amazing and, and, and it really underscores the importance of this whole effort that you have underway so right now with inspiring girls the next leg in the organization and something that you've just launched i think a couple of weeks ago is the hashtag this little girl is me campaign talk a little bit about what that campaign is and what you're trying to accomplish with it well the this little hashtag this little girl is me campaign is running from the 13th of september till the 11th of october which is the international day of the girl and what we want to is to flood social media and in particular instagram with female role models and we want girls to follow female role models using that hashtag and what we are asking women to do is something really simple is to post a picture of themselves when they were little and to either speak about their ambitions at the time or the advice that they would have given to their younger self and we have really powerful research being done by female lead as to how much it changes the outlook of girls whenever they see inspirational women in social media. For us, this is a really important effort because we try to be where the girls are. So we, a lot of our work is in schools, but whenever we try to work with girls in schools and to bring the female role models to them, obviously you take time from the teachers and this is a, a tricky time now the teachers are really very busy trying to to cope with everything that has happened in the Make last up for lost time in the last year exactly <laughs> we also try to inspire girls through a video hub where we have the female role models there in a video hub but the girls have to come to the video hub to do it our constant thinking is where are the girls and the girls are in social media so why don't we bring their own models to to social media where the girls are and and this is the whole point of the campaign and and part of what we are trying to convey to them also is that sometimes they look at the, the female role models and they think oh you know they are so far away from me right they are these are you know women who have done everybody has done so many things it doesn't matter their level and by the way the campaign is open to absolutely everybody but but by seeing them as girls, we are hoping that the girls themselves will establish the connection and realize that all of us were girls at a certain point, and we have the same doubts and questions as they are having today. Yeah. Any surprises with the campaign so far? Maybe talk about some of the women who you've profiled. And, and I think, to be clear, it's not just the most high-profile women. You're actually encouraging all women to, to post and to talk about what they wanted, maybe what they wanted to be when they grew up or a particular piece of advice that they wish they had known in order to really flood social media in a very positive and uplifting way. I, I, I love the idea. Maybe talk a little bit about 
um, either some of the surprises or, or things that have come out of the campaign so far that you're really happy about? Well, we are totally overwhelmed by the success of, of the campaign. I got into this. This is the very t first time we do something like this. And we were thinking that it could be towards the last week of the campaign that it would pick up. It has been a complete revolution on LinkedIn already. It has been trending the whole week. Uh, it has been the on topic of the day just yesterday. Uh, in Instagram, it's running very hard as well. And and for me, the, the biggest surprise has been how quickly we have got into where we wanted to be, which is to have all sorts of women from all sorts of backgrounds opening up and just giving their advice to girls. And you can see there from, uh, you know, a six times Paralympic champion, a top singer like Annie Lennox, a woman at the top of business like Sheryl Sandberg or the president of Instacart to, you know, every kind of possible job and role, stay-at-home moms, women working in supermarkets, you know, really the, the, the full spectrum. And actually, when you look at it, which is something I really believe in, is that sometimes the most inspiring stories are not necessarily the ones of those women that we all know <laughs> is the ones of the women that that we don't know and and the the things the stories that women are posting about you know the the difficulties that many of them have gone through there are all sorts of stories there from people who have suffered bullying a lot of bullying and feeling different and having to overcome all that you know daughters of people who have emigrated and they mm -hmm. they found themselves being very different to to everybody else those who started seeing their their dreams come true and suddenly you know something happened with with their bodies with their life and they had to reinvent themselves and indeed many women who haven't fulfilled their dreams and they are doing something else and they are coming to realize that they can do whatever it is that they are doing now really well i mentioned earlier one of the, the my favorite posts, which is a, a woman working in a supermarket that speaks very realistically about, I had all these big dreams and it didn't work out. I have ended up working in a supermarket, but it was during COVID that I have realized how important my job was. You know? And it's, it's those kind of messages that I think that are really, really important to girls, wherever you are, you know, life throws you in lots of different ways, but wherever you are, just strive to be your very best within your abilities, right? That's what we are aiming for. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, thinking about the news cycle, and there's a lot of discussion about whether, you know, how, 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 whether social media is good for young people, young girls and young boys, and you're the mother of three sons, and I'm the mother of a daughter and a son, both who are, you know, almost, one's all, the, my daughter's almost social media age. But, you know, around that age of 13, when they really legitimately can be on these platforms, um, is also when kids oftentimes have a lot of self-doubt, especially girls. Maybe talk a bit about how you see the campaign having an impact on the self-doubt and also some of the negative stuff that we're hearing about the impact of social media, whether people agree with it or don't agree with it. Maybe talk about how this can perhaps have a different impact. Well, I think that the, the dip in self-confidence of girls is is a fact and to me is the biggest surprise because I didn't expect to see that really in all these many years that I have been working with girls. We are in lots of different countries from rural Morocco to Chile, Australia, the outside of Wall Street in New York, you know, all throughout the US no matter where you go, no matter the kind of a school, not matter the background of the area, you keep seeing girls who at that age of 12, 13, it varies a little bit country to country, they start dropping subjects because they think that they are not for them. It tends to be the science subjects. They start dropping sports because they think that some sports are just for boys. 
And, and very curiously, very often that happens while they are good at those subjects <laughs> that they are dropping. And it is so much of an issue worldwide that now you have, and I'm really glad of this because we have worked with them on this, you have the OECD in their PISA analysis that they publish every year. They are looking specifically at this issue, the impact of the gender stereotypes at that age in girls. And also something else that happens to girls that does not happen to boys, which is the fear of failure. So the, right. the undertaking risk is much more of an issue with girls at that age than with boys. And I think that some of those stories about how how women went through that journey and they found their self-confidence is exactly the kind of things that girls need to see. And also in terms of undertaking risks, that that life is not a ladder <laughs> that you are, you know, you are going through lots of different ways until you come to be whatever you end up being. No? And they haven't really, many of them, you can see when you talk to them that they haven't really internalized that. Now, in, in social media, I, I come from the point of view of thinking that social media is a tool. And it's a tool that can be used in lots of different directions. It can be used for good things. It can be used, of course, for bad things. And there are lots of discussions there. My Half my other hat is on the regulatory and trade space. So if I put my regulatory hat on, I think that there are issues there on, you know, making sure that if there is a certain age below which children should not be in social media, how do you enforce that? And you have guarantees. And there are obviously some issues that one has to keep reconsidering because some of these technologies are uh, rather new and therefore there is a trial and error on all of it, not only on social media, but any use of technology. Whenever you see some specific issues on particular groups of girls who are suffering for whatever it is, you know, how do you overcome that and how can you try to send the right messages? But on the broader issue, which is how do we make sure that in social media there is more positive content, the answer is on all of us, right. how we are using it. You know, I, I have now dedicated for this campaign uh, an enormous amount of days just looking closely at <laughs> what is there in social media. There is a lot of cleavages, there is a lot of body images, there is a lot of pouts. The answer to that is not that that is banned. The answer to that is all of us post better things. And that is partly what we are trying to do with this little girl is me. Let's just flood it. <laughs> with positive content and it's so easy you know the majority of society just wants to use all this in a positive way well let's start doing it and indeed we can do that in in many other areas but the answer is us it's right. not nobody else is going to do it for us right right and, and for those people who are are listening um who have children who are of social media age you know 13 and above you know encouraging them to follow more positive images and more positive hashtags. I mean, I realize, you know, people are probably snickering saying, yeah, yeah, how are you going to reinforce that? But, you know, look, it has to start at home. Um, and, and this is a really important alternative. And I think that I personally think this is true, not just for kids. I think it's true for adults as well, that the more you seek positive content and positive images and positive thoughts, the more that reinforces what's in your feed and that you end up with a much more positive experience than when you are seeking those things that are inherently negative that make you feel like garbage. Completely. And if I may, that is part of what we are trying to do with hashtag this little girl is me. So we are currently trying to get as many women as possible from all around the world and all backgrounds onto the campaign. And on International Day of the Girl, we are going to pivot that towards the girls, just asking everybody if you are a girl directly over 13. Um, otherwise, we will be asking your um, parents, your, you know, your daughters, your nieces, any girl you know, who is using social media, ask them to follow, click on the hashtag, this little girl is me and follow one woman 
at least one way. That's all that we are asking. We are not asking that they stop doing whatever they are doing. Just follow one of these women. Mm -hmm. Because if you follow at least one, what you are going to find is that in your feed, you will start getting suggestions <laughs> from all, all other similar women. And hopefully we would have started a bit of a positive spiral that grows on its own. I love that. I absolutely love that. So as we launched this season of She Said, She Said podcast, our emphasis is on this idea of influence and how we grow it. And I, what I noticed over the course of three years of content and conversations is that there were so many examples of drivers that help us as women build influence and ultimately help us achieve whatever our goals may happen to be. I'd love for you to talk for a second about any link you see between role models, seeking role models, and this idea of developing or building influence. Well, I think that the link there is the visibility. You know, in order to be influential, uh, very often with whatever group it is. So if you are doing it globally, you have to be very visible. But even if you are doing it in your most immediate environment, people need to be able to see you, to kind of follow you and to change whatever it is that you are aiming to change, which is where influence happens. You know? and, and I believe very strongly that influence is about change. And that we are in a period of um, of the history of society that probably because of all the means that we have at our disposal and, and some of them we have just discussed about like social media mm -hmm. it is easy to get distracted and to think that you can be influential that just by making lots of noise and that is a different thing you know, making noise sometimes is good to bring visibility to a certain cause, but you are only influential if you manage to change something and to move the dial in in a positive, hopefully. You can also be influential on the negative side, but hopefully <laughs> in the positive in the positive direction. And that is where I think that it's not so much about the role models, you know, the existence of role models. They are there. Right, they could be doing lots of wonderful things without that visibility. But in in terms of actually carrying the girls with them and and getting them to do a change, which is what we are hoping to do with the girls, which is just get rid of that lack of self confidence. You know, women like me, and I I, I don't mind acknowledging it. I I have I have lived with an issue there of lack of self confidence that I had to fight against at some points and. And then I got comfortable with it and I know I know how to deal with it. But, you know, it is always there. It could have been so wonderful if when I was little, I would have got rid of it because it's like a bad wit that that somehow, you know, distracts me in my life. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want it, so I shouldn't <laughs> have it. If If we can help as many girls as possible to identify it and discard it, at that age, I think that we would have eliminated so many barriers that, that then grow during women's lives. And, and I, I'm convinced that that lack of self-confidence that starts there mm -hmm. is what then explains that many women do not negotiate properly their salaries, that they don't ask for the right promotions, that whenever they are appointed to something, they think, oh, well, perhaps they are doing this just because I'm a woman. So, so you know, all that, we can sort it early on. And, and actually, the earlier, the better, I think. I love that. I want you to talk, if you're willing to, to share with us, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, you acknowledged the fact that you had a self-confidence issue or were having self-doubt and that it's just something that's with you, right? It's annoying, but it's there. But you mentioned you learned how to deal with it. Can you share with us what your, what's in your toolkit? How do you, when you feel those feelings, which I don't know if you feel them now, I sure as hell do, but when you feel that feeling creep up on you, what, what do you, what, what's your go-to? What helps you plow through it? Well, I have very often been in situations, and I have done lots of different jobs, so I haven't been somebody who has been static professionally, so I have had a plenty of occasions where I could feel <laughs> lack of self-confidence, and I have been very lucky that I have always had 
many people from my family, my husband, my friends kind of pushing me in the right direction whenever I was having self-doubt. But, but I remember, for example, when I started becoming a member of boards and that coincided with a period in my country when they were, you know, the government was really pushing for more women being on boards and me thinking, oh, they are only asking me this because I'm a woman. <laughs> and I had to find myself just two or three years later becoming the head of the audit committee at wow. companies and banks uh, thinking yeah they would not ask me to do this if they thought that is yes because i'm a woman because it's far too important uh, it's a very yes so you know you, you you learn yourself through your life to identify those thoughts and think oh how stupid that i'm thinking in in that way but i have come to you know, for a long time, I tried to fight against it. I have come to just let it live with me. And, and I try to use it in a positive direction. So I, whenever I'm starting something new, and um, for example, this week, I have started teaching international trade at the University of Stanford, and I, I get some fear, I, I feel the fear, I let myself feel the fear and to me you know to all of us it happens in different places to me it happens kind of at the at the back of my neck i just feel it there <laughs> and i just let it there i recognize it it gives me a sharp edge because i know that whenever i feel that i'm going to make more of an effort and i'm going to go there properly prepared and then what i really do is to try to mentally say okay now this is done you have seen it you're going to discard it and you are going to do it. And that is how I personally have managed to to deal with it. And most of the time I, I have it control. And, and actually I think that now it, it helps me, but everybody's different. So everybody, if you happen to have it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, my only message is, you know, you can live with this and use it in the positive direction. Just find the, the trick that does it for you. Yeah, but, but the starting point, and I think what you said that's so incredibly important is the recognition that you have to be self-aware to know, okay, I'm feeling fear. Perhaps it's an irrational fear. I'm going to just feel it for a minute, acknowledge that it exists, recognize it for what it is, and put it aside. And I, I think that's so important. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I wasn't raised learning how to do that. I wasn't raised necessarily with those tools. Those are tools that I have learned and that I try to employ, but it's so incredibly important because the starting point is just recognizing I'm feeling fear, it's normal. It's not a bear chasing me in the woods. <laughs> this is something that I can that I can just recognize and move move forward with. I think it's such important perspective and advice. Exactly. And that, that's exactly what we try to do with the girls. Just as this is growing in them, it's like recognize it. Yeah. <laughs> that sometimes you may be taking that decision that you are dropping maths, for example, while you are actually good at maths. And that is not because of any rational thing. It's simply because, because of us, really. Yeah. Because of the impact that us, the rest of society, letting the gender stereotypes stay there and therefore the kids seem from the age of six that they are jobs for men and jobs for women <laughs> that is what is making them think in that way if they can identify it they can get rid of it and to me the same is about undertaking risks i was brought up to to have a stable job and you know the thing that all spanish families wanted <laughs> especially from girls at my time was that we would become civil servants and we would have you know a career for good with a stable salary and you know not undertaking any risks and when i moved out to private practice you know my mother just, it was a revolution in her, where are you going and why are you doing this <laughs> and and i have to push myself to undertake risks sometimes because my tendency is what they told me when i was little go for the safe job and i have learned that the safe job is never the right job. <laughs> you know, where I'm happy, I personally, 
is when I'm stretched and when I feel that I'm undertaking a, a risk. But you learn, you know, I'm 30, 53 now, so, so you learn that with age. Hopefully all of us can make younger women and girls learn that much earlier so that they don't have to go through the same things. Yeah, you, you reference an issue that I think is true. I mean, it's true in a lot of families. It's true in a lot of cultures where oftentimes what girls and women are facing are cultural or, or, or uh, familial experiences expectations in terms of the role that they will play. Maybe talk for a second about <laughs> how you deal with that <laughs> when you have your family, as you did, with your mom saying, whoa, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> this is a big risk. Are you sure you want to take this risk? Like, talk, talk for a second about how you, you know, how you had the confidence to push back and say, no, I think this is what's right for me. Well, this is one of the key messages that we always tend to give to girls and is freedom of choice. And, and I think that it is still such an issue with women and girls that we somehow all feel, because many of us are raised to please and to please others and, and in subtle ways. And sometimes we don't really see it, but I compare my education to my brother's education, for example, and he was definitely pushed to, or allowed <laughs> to fail a bit more often, to not to please so much, to be on the naughty side or whatever, and that didn't really happen to me, which has made it made me a, a big perfectionist, which is another issue I, I deal with. But, uh, but sometimes when you have that kind of cultural background, you really need to say to yourself early on, I'm going to choose whatever I want. And I, did, I need to do this work of really deciding what it is that I want. You would be surprised how many times I meet girls like constantly that you ask them, what do you want to be? And, and they, they kind of stop sometimes, are you really asking me? <laughs> like, do you think that I am the one who has to decide <laughs> what I want to be? It's like, that's the very beginning of the process. It's not what society expects of you. It's not what your friends expect of you. It's not what your parents expect of you. It's, you know, this is your life. <laughs> right. You need to decide what really makes you happy, no? And I think that... That that, you know, perhaps that, that is why, by the way, I have a bit of an issue sometimes with some of the initiatives that are about getting women just on STEM or trying to make them all CEOs of whatever company. It's like, but, you know, some of us may not want to do that. <laughs> Surely the message is decide whatever you want to do. And that, yes, I think that whatever you want to do, try to do it to the best to the best of your ability but but we see that as you can imagine you know because of the kind of countries we work in some of them have have a strong cultural issues still not overcome in relation to to women and though we are an international movement and i think in inspiring girls and i think that it is important that that is seen you know globally mm -hmm. You know, in Morocco, we have Moroccan women talking to Moroccan girls. And in Singapore, we have Singaporean women talking to Singaporean girls. And, and only the women of those countries really know the cultural influences on girls in all of our countries. And, and there are issues definitely in all of them, including where we are here in the U.S. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a really great point. Miriam, I would love to shift just a bit and talk a bit more about your work. You are an international trade lawyer, very successful international trade lawyer and negotiator. I'd love for you to share, because of this moment that we find ourselves in, where I think we're having more difficult conversations, more contention within families, within neighborhoods. And it's not just about politics. It's about all kinds of things. And it feels like people have a sort of a, a, a ready trigger, if you will, um, and are having trouble getting along. Maybe share with us some perspective as you think about having difficult conversations, maybe knowing that you're going to have a difficult conversation and perspective that you've learned as a negotiator for some tips that the audience can take away <laughs> from someone who's been there in really challenging circumstances. 
Well, if, if only I had the solution to this. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> but, but let me perhaps say that I think that we as a society, we need to put our disagreements in perspective, first of all. And we have a tendency, all of us, and you know, I see it here in the US, I saw it in the UK, that I lived the Brexit time in the UK and see mm. it now in my country. And we all tend to talk ourselves into how incredibly polarized we are, like if we are a society that is coming off a script and suddenly we are behaving badly by, <laughs> by having disagreements with each other. And I think that we have to recognize that we are in a big transitional moment in the world. You know, we are having this technological revolution that is going, making us go in lots of different places, is reshaping all the, the international environment as well. Some of the decisions that we are taking now are big decisions. You know, sometimes the world goes through periods where it's, it's just business as usual, right? And we just, we just keep going. But there are some moments when we need to start taking options and those options will shape in a big way how the next generations will live. And it's only right that we have big disagreements with each other <laughs> as to how that needs to be done, because it's only by having those disagreements that hopefully we will find some, some good ways. So I think that A, we need to, to to put things a bit more in perspective. But to me, the other thing, and I was thinking about this the other day because I was teaching some students about how to negotiate, uh, mm -hmm. how to be a good trade negotiator. And I was explaining to them how in the business world, for example, we, we tend to think that a good negotiator is a tough negotiator. So somebody who really destroys the other side because they take it all. No? And how in the world of of trade and international relations is almost the opposite. In order to be a good negotiator, everybody needs to feel that they have won something because otherwise they would step away. So they, the difficulty is about finding that middle ground that makes everybody happy and, and is that, that kind of persuasion and, and that being open to what the other thinks and, and understanding them, you know, that is, is really the key to be able to do that job properly. And I think that, that we need to pivot some of those discussions that we are having in society to, to understanding on all the different sides. That you know, it's not that the other side is going to disappear. We have to live with each other. Right. <laughs> so we are going to have to find some middle way there where somehow everybody and middle way is not necessarily the you know 50 50 distance but yeah in some issues on one side in some others on some other and we are going to have to navigate it because you know we all live in the same countries and in the same continent so there is no no other way forward and and a lot of this i think comes to to all of us understanding also that all these new means of communication that we have found really need to be used to communicate with each other. And communicate is not just talking at somebody, is listening to them right. <laughs> and then having the conversation. And that doesn't mean that you need to compromise all the time. You know, I, I'm somebody who I feel less and less sure about my opinions with age, but I feel more and more sure of my values. So it's not about compromising all the time, but it really is about understanding the other side. Yeah, I love that. It's really, really well said and such great advice. Okay, just a couple final questions. Um, I'd love for you to share um, maybe any practices that you're engaged in that help you stay centered and focused with our listeners. <laughs> maybe things that you do to kind of help you stay on track. And we've talked a little bit about sort of dealing with self-doubt and some of those bigger things, but, but maybe little things that you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, I, I tend to I tend to be very on track, so I have the the lack that uh, probably because I'm very passionate about everything that I do, <laughs> I don't have many problems to just focus 100%. If if anything, my issue is is always the reverse. How the, do I step out? And I realize that that you also have to calm down sometimes and and to recharge because otherwise it's very easy to 
to lose perspectives and and the things that I do are I'm sure that most of our listeners do them as well I think that the sport is is the magical way to get there and um, and to clean um, your mind I I'm a piano player and uh, I did a degree on piano so I think that music is <laughs> the other thing that that gets me there and and finally uh, something that I have had the luck to do since I came to to live in the US two and a half years ago even more often is to be in touch with nature. I think that the nature that you have in this country is breathtaking, is yeah. of the kind of dimensions of nature that you have here is something that we just don't have in in Europe. And whenever I, you know, I'm feeling a bit lost, I just, I just go out to the natural world to, to see, wow, you know, this beauty, if this beauty exists, we shouldn't be destroying it, right? So we need to work in the positive direction as human beings. Absolutely, absolutely. How about in addition to Inspiring Girls International, which I know is a big part of what's inspiring you right now, how about any, you know, a book that is a, a particular recommendation that's leaving you inspired or something that you're listening to or something that you're watching that's really sort of boosting you and, 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 and making you feel more inspired? Well, in terms of books, I cannot really give you many because I'm reading a lot about international trade that would be really, really boring <laughs> for your <laughs> listeners. It's all subjective, right? What inspires yeah. you may, may or may not inspire me, but that's okay. <laughs> exactly. There's something that I'm watching that I'm enjoying enormously, and it's actually a good watch. I'm sure that lots of people would, would love is the series The Chair, uh, that it uh -huh. is about... Uh, a university and um, and I I'm loving how it puts sense of humor into a lot of the things that are happening lately in universities and all these issues of generations kind of confronting each other and people uh -huh. um, having fear of communicating openly because it's not either politically correct for one side or for the other or whatever and and I think that a lot of the answer to what we are going through is just a little bit more sense of humor. <laughs> you know, that would go a long way to get us all more together. Yeah, that's a brilliant show. Joel and I watched that over the summer. It's really thoughtful. Sandra Oh is the, is the lead yes. character, and it's really quite brilliant. Miriam, this has been such a joy. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Likewise. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Hey friend, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you found great value in Miriam's perspective. Whether it was her thoughts on the power and importance of role models for building influence, or her especially candid perspective on dealing with self-doubt, I hope that you found this investment in you well worthwhile. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode, episode 162. We have expanded and reorganized the notes just a bit to make them more useful to you. So be sure to let me know what you think. And be sure to share your feedback on this or any of our She Said, She Said podcast episodes as well. You can reach me via the links in the show notes. I also hope that you'll join us in sharing your own social media post at hashtag this little girl is me. Please be sure to tag me at Laura Cox Kaplan, as well as she said, she said podcast, Miriam and the Inspiring Girls organization that I've included all of those links in the show notes as well. No matter where you sit or what you do, each of us can be a positive and inspiring role model and have an impact that just might change someone else's life for the better. It's both an especially good use of time and of these platforms that I think we sometimes forget can be a tremendous force for good. With that, take care, and I'll talk to you again next week.